Welcome to episode 36 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host, Steve's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian is going to be discussing the miniseries he watched, Chernobyl. We both watched the documentary, Panama Papers. The video game, What Remains of Edith Finch, was on PlayStation Plus this month, and both Christian and I got a chance to play it. We are going to discuss the Sonic movie trailer, <laughs> which came out a while ago when we were doing our MCU review. And then finally, if we have time, we will be discussing the casting choices for The Batman. But first, Christian, you watched Chernobyl. Now, what is this? It is an HBO miniseries. It's only going to be five episodes long, so it's not a big commitment. Um, but it is about the uh, nuclear disaster at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in the Ukraine in 1986. And it is hauntingly good. So you said this is on HBO. Is this a is this a documentary? Uh, not exactly. It's it's more a based on a true story kind of thing. It's it's uh, like fairly well known actors and actresses just portraying the the events as they unfolded. So why do you find this so good? It's just very interesting and it's dramatic. Like this is something that. I think a lot of people are kind of aware happened the disaster at Chernobyl. Just kind of a, a quick overview of what and where Chernobyl is. It's it's about 70 miles north of Kiev, which is the capital of the Ukraine. Uh, it's at the time it was the the Soviet Union. So it was all like there wasn't a Ukraine or a Belarus. But today it sits basically right on the border of Ukraine and Belarus in uh, Eastern Europe. And on April 26, 1986, one of the reactors basically exploded. And if you know anything about radiation, you know that nuclear reactors exploding are really kind of the worst thing a reactor can do. And the series starts there. Like minute one is basically the explosion. And then it so far has just followed the literal fallout uh, from there, going over things like radiation poisoning and trying to regain control of the facility. So does this follow one particular character, or you have a whole cast that are going around as they're trying to minimize the damage that is happening? Yeah, it, it follows... It's it's more of a, a f- following multiple people. Stellan Sarsgaard and Jared Harris play the two main guys so far. They're the ones that were kind of dispatched by the Soviet government to the site to figure out what was going on and then contain it. And so it just, it mostly follows the two of them trying to get a handle on the situation, but you're also seeing stories of firefighters who were on scene and then started getting sick. You're seeing plant workers who were in the control room when it exploded and then they start getting sick and you're seeing uh, researchers kind of around the world starting to piece together what's been going on. Uh, you know, I have a minor background of knowing what was going on here. What generally has occurred in what looks like the first two episodes? So, yeah, the the reactor explodes. The firemen come in. They're trying to contain the fire, but they can't because it's not a normal fire. It's like a nuclear fire. And they start getting, like they look like real bad sunburns and then they start getting sick and they kind of dropping to the ground. They start getting burns from the radiation 
And then once they start getting a handle on exactly what's going on and they realize exactly how bad of a situation they're in and they have to try and scramble to get everything under control before the situation goes from already really, really bad to kind of catastrophically bad. Yeah, like I I was kind of more aware than I guess most people are because radiation is always something that's kind of fascinated me. So I've I've read a few books about nuclear accidents and things like this. So but I still had kind of no idea the scale of what almost happened, uh, like how much worse it could have gotten. So it's it's interesting to watch in this show and, and see exactly how bad it actually was. So I do want to get to how bad it could actually have been because. You know, I, I've read or I've seen five-minute history articles or whatever, but I've never really given it much thought. But was there no safety precautions at this nuclear reactor other than having a local fire department come in? Because you think there would be some safeguards in place in case something like this did happen. So the reactor exploded while they were actually doing a safety test. The, the idea was that they were going to basically simulate a a total power failure. But the person in charge kind of changed the parameters of the experiment at the last second against advisement, and it ended up causing a hotspot inside the reactor that the sensors couldn't find because it was so deep into the reactor, and then it exploded from the hotspot. So they were they were trying. (laughs) They, They were doing a safety test. It was at like three in the morning, I think, maybe one in the morning. So it was like minimal staff on site. But then, yeah, firemen got called in from uh, Pripyat, which was the basically the company town right beside the reactor. It was just reactor personnel that lived there. Then they started calling in firefighters from other like jurisdictions nearby. They called them in from Kiev, which was about 70 miles away. And yeah, I mean, honestly, there's not much to be done once this happens. There's really... You, you kind of... <laughs> just have to let it burn because there's no way to get to it. And so what was the extent of the damage that could have been? And then have you gotten to the point of how they actually prevent it from being worse? That's kind of where episode two ends. So I, I said it's five episodes. Only two have aired. The third one is literally airing right now as we're having this conversation. So that that's kind of a, a cliffhanger. They send divers in to the, the radioactive water underneath to to kind of contain some things. Basically, what they say could have happened if they don't get it under control is that there's going to be an enormous steam eruption. All of the steam will be radioactive. That explosion will then destroy the other reactors on site because there are four reactors at Chernobyl and only one of them was having a problem. So then it would destroy the other three. They would all go super critical and also explode. And it would have made all of the Ukraine and most of Belarus completely uninhabitable for about a hundred years. So yeah, it it could have gotten pretty bad. I mean, as it is, it's, it's still the worst nuclear disaster we've ever had. It's only one of two level seven nuclear emergencies on the planet in our history. Uh, The other one being the Fukushima meltdown in 2011 after the tsunami. We were at least both alive for Fukushima. And I remember hearing a lot about that one. Yeah. So one of the like one of these reactors at Chernobyl was completely destroyed. An entire forest was killed. The the radiation turned the entire forest, uh, all the leaves turned red and then died. And so there's kind of no life in the red forest anymore. 
but like like life has started to kind of reclaim the region there are some things with mutations like there are daisies that have two centers instead of just one round one so it's it's a weird little like environmental experiment that's going on in the ukraine right now just trying to see how life reclaims the the uh, chernobyl exclusion zone it's just it's a, a really interesting show and i would highly highly recommend people watch it just i was gonna try and wait uh until it was all done to, to give a review but since it's only five episodes and i liked it so much like i i wanted to get this out there so if anybody's listening they can jump on it while it's still fresh and you said it's on hbo yep mondays at nine So this past week, Christian and I both have watched the documentary Panama Papers. Now, this is streaming. I watched it on Hulu, and I believe it's on Amazon Prime. It's directed by Alex Winter, who I think it's interesting is Bill from Bill and Ted, both bogus and excellent adventures. (laughs) Uh, So Panama Papers is essentially just a documentary on the Panama Papers leak that happened about three years ago now. Uh, did you like this documentary, Christian? It was really interesting. I I kind of was aware of this when it happened, but I like I wasn't as into news and politics as I am now, and so I, I had kind of a vague sense of what it was. But it was uh it was interesting to watch this and see exactly like how kind of crazy everything went. Yeah. So why I actually really enjoyed this documentary is I think it took a two pronged approach. Half of the movie was basically about the journalists who were covering this and how they, in secret with, it ended up being over like 300 journalists from around the world, corroborated the information that was being put out there, and then how do we get this to stick with everyone, and then the other half of the story was they tried to, I think the production team really tried to emphasize why a normal person like me or you should care, these rich people are avoiding paying taxes. Yeah, it's pretty wild. The thing that was so interesting to me was kind of how far reaching it was, right? Like you had public officials and celebrities that were like resigning and being implicated in this in countries all over the planet. For any listener who doesn't know, the Panama Papers was essentially someone had hacked into a law firm's database in Panama. And this law firm's main goal was they would have rich clients come to them And then they would create shell corporations for them to dump their money into so they could avoid paying taxes in their home country. And I think they said that the yearly taxes that were being pulled out of the U.S. alone were around $277 billion in tax avoidance for 2013. And just to put that in perspective, that is roughly 60% of the infrastructure budget or the Department of Education's budget for four years that rich people in the U.S. were avoiding paying. Yeah, the the scale of the money on this, like just the, the amount that was flowing through this this one law firm was unbelievable. I, yeah, th- this was one law firm. What Those numbers I just put were for the U.S. only. I mean, this was a world event. There were people from every country involved in this. I, I mean... You had Putin's number two, who was likely doing it on behalf of Putin. You had Lionel Messi, who it seems like he probably wasn't aware of it, but his agents and everything who were his controllers were doing it for him. You have Assad, you have David Cameron, and it's just insane because these are people from all over. I mean, it's it's both sides of the aisle that are doing this. I mean, it's just rich people taking advantage of a system. Yeah. 
And they even say at, towards the end, like, this isn't going to stop, right? They're just going to find other ways to do it. But, like, this is still just, it was it was mind-blowing, the amount of stuff that was going on without anybody knowing about it. Yeah, and, you know, like, I do have a little bit of experience in corporation formation. Um, that's, like, part of my job for some of the things. And it is insanely easy to create corporations. And I think states really do rely on people not abusing it. But as you saw, it was Delaware and really and Nevada that they just they abused that system. I mean, the listed director in hundreds of companies was just a secretary at this law firm, which is ridiculous. Like these weren't real corporations. And this is like my problem with corporations in general, where it's like if they're used properly, they are totally a good thing to have. But then when people start misusing them like this to avoid ta paying taxes and everything, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you brought up that secretary, and I think they said that she was listed as like the ranking executive in 10,000 different uh, shell corporations. Something crazy like that. And it's not even like they're just creating one shell corporation. Like how you do a lot of this stuff is you insulate yourself so much from liability by obfuscating the facts and everything like that. Not only will you have like a corporation that you're a part of, you'll also create then another corporation that will essentially be like the manager of that one corporation. So when you start pulling general files, you're just seeing, oh, another corporation runs it and you just keep rushing nesting to all that. It's insane the amount of information that these journalists had to sift through and the fact that they created a searchable database for anyone just to go on there and look at is another just engineering feat on their part of doing it completely in secret without anyone finding out because had people found out uh, there's a lot of assumptions there that they would have been targeted as a couple journalists were targeted after this came out watching them build that whole infrastructure about how to like track everything and they were making like interactive clickable maps and things that you could like go through the layers and it was organized by person and by corporation and by country of origin and by everything else like it was amazing the work they had to do before they could even start like getting the information that they needed like they needed a way to actually manage everything because it was so much and really I, th I think this piggybacks a little bit on our talk last week where you know we talked about like when can you report stuff like this is what journalism should be like these people didn't just dump a bunch of information out there they double check to make sure that there wasn't false information being slipped in with the real information. Like that's the level you need when people in this day and age are calling fake news all the time. They were on point to be like, nope, all this is completely factual. We've double checked everything. I couldn't believe. And I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the standard is. I, I haven't studied like journalistic ethics or anything, but I couldn't believe they reached out to these places for comment before they published. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, I guess. I guess you have to, but like you said, I'm I'm not in the journalism field, so I I don't really know. Just speaking about reaching out, can I point out how ridiculous it is how much people will just lie and use lawyers to just fight releasing any form of information or the truth? So like obviously you're never going to come out and say he's guilty or whatever, but it's one of those things where it's like there has to be a better way because these people are clearly guilty and it's like they're just trying to sway public opinion by saying like oh no that's not true and then you see 
the most like uh, Forsaka guys uh, who who ran that firm and owned it end up in jail because they were clearly breaking at least Panama's laws. And it's just we haven't seen a ton of fallout in the United States, which I'm surprised about. But it's very clear a lot of people were breaking the law here. Well, they they kind of said that uh, the people in the that were involved in the United States weren't like big public figures, right? They were more like trust fund guys, which is is kind of like they said exactly who you'd expect it to be but it's not like it was in uh where in Pakistan the the prime minister was removed and then in Iceland the prime minister or president had to resign and uh in Spain I think it was they had uh, some kind of a foreign minister who had to resign the the guy who was in charge of FIFA got like in all sorts of trouble over this like it was and then David Cameron, the Prime Minister of the U.S. of the uh, United Kingdom, had to resign, kind of in part, over this. I'm curious how much this leak actually has to do with Brexit, with Cameron being ousted, and then you know Brexit happens within what, like six months to a year. So really, just a lot hitting the fan at one time. And like you said, the U.S. seems to have smaller people indicted. I'm curious. If you start going to all the law firms in Panama who are doing this, do you find bigger name U.S. people? They just had the fortune to not be part of this law firm. (laughs) It's a definite possibility. I don't think this was as big of a story as it should have been in the U.S. because I don't think any of the main like news media corporations picked up on it because it could have hurt the owner's interest. I might be conspiracy theorying this a little bit, but, (laughs) you know, I saw a couple articles in the New York Times or like a headline on CNN but otherwise, I had not heard very much about this. And they had even said that uh, if you lived in Russia, you had no idea that this had even happened because there was n- not a single outlet in Russia reported on this. Yeah, the only funny thing, I mean, about this was one of the people who had started the the corporation was like a musician for Putin. And they had claimed that he needed to buy him cellos, so Putin eventually had to buy like 3,000 cellos or something <laughs> to use up the money. And like I had mentioned about uh, reaching out to these places for comment, like that one reporter legitimately just had to write an email to Putin and be like, would you like to comment on this? I can't imagine ever being able to, like, where do you send that email? That's just bananas to be like, yeah, I I had to write an email to Putin about how we uncovered all this criminality about him. The fact that that guy's still alive is astounding. Oh, man, one of my I mean, sorry, is getting off the Putin part. But one of my favorite parts of the movie was when they confronted the Icelandic president on camera and he just like had nothing to say and then just walked out. Yeah, they they were like, hey, what's the what's the deal with this company? And he completely imploded. He's like, what? Well, you're accusing me of not paying taxes. And I'm like, nobody said anything about that. (laughs) And the other big one was, I think it was Brazil lost like two thirds of their parliament or or whatever their form of Congress is. Brazil's was a bad one. Yeah, I like I remember reading during this this last election cycle down there when they uh, elected Bolsonaro about how the Panama Papers kind of was the beginning of the situation that they're in now because it was just an enormous governmental upheaval. Like they lost so many people. There were so many openings that it was kind of like a complete regime change.
This month, PlayStation has What Remains of Edith Finch as one of the PlayStation Plus games that you can download. This is a game by a developer, Giant Sparrow. Did you like this one, Christian? I did. It was very strange. I was a fan. Yeah, it was not what I was expecting. Uh, this is basically a, a walking simulator of some sort. I had heard people talking about this on podcasts as being an indie darling from a couple years ago, but I never just got around to checking it out, and I'm, I'm really glad that it was on PlayStation Plus. Yeah, it's a weird little game. Like, I'll probably platinum it later tonight, maybe tomorrow. I think I only have, like, two left. But the game is very short. It's only about two hours long, even if you do do the platinum. Like, if you look at what the trophies are in advance, you can definitely hit it on a single playthrough. Like, I probably wouldn't pay more than 5 or $10 for it just because of how short it is. But for being free, absolutely is worth picking up. Oh, yeah, and especially because I don't think this has a ton of replay value. I think a lot of what I'm enjoying about this is being surprised by what's going on in the story, uh, which we're probably going to spoil here when we talk about it. So heads up on that. But the basic premise of Edith Finch, uh, what, what is it? So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try not to get too, too spoilery, especially since uh, I don't think you're the whole way through it yet. But it follows the story of Edith Finch. She's the last of the Finch line. And she's writing in her journal as she returns to her old family home to try and uncover the secrets that were kept from her. And their family is cursed so that each generation, only one child is allowed to survive. What I, I really liked about this was the whole time I'm there, I'm trying to piece it together because it reminded me a little bit of a game called Life is Strange. Um, and I was like, OK, like we're just trying to solve what happens here. And then you finally get into this house and there's just these doors that are bolted shut. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? This is kind of creepy. And then you start finding secret passageways from room to room. And you start uh, the first time you find uh, a room of one of her ancestors. You then go back in time and play as that ancestor, uh, which was the girl who ate everything. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of trippy. Yeah, so that's basically the all of the gameplay, right? You just find secret passages from room to room. And as you enter each room, you're kind of sucked into a mini story where you assume the role of the, the person who lived in that bedroom and you, you play out basically how they died. Yeah. And it's so well done. Yeah. It's visually stunning. Like the entire thing takes place on, on a single Island off the coast of Seattle. So the map is not large even with all those little like mini things that you, you have to do the, the area that you explore is very big, but it is incredibly well-defined. It's dark physically and kind of like philosophically, emotionally, but it is gorgeous to look at. Yeah. I like how the house uh, interacts with each other where it's like at one point you're going through a secret passageway and then, Oh, you can pop right back out into the main part of the house <laughs> and go back. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. I really like the like I guess it's a, a vignette of the, like the, the her family's final moments. I think some of them are better than others and the length of some of them compared to others like some of them are 20 seconds and then some of them are like 5 or 6 minutes. Yeah, like there's one where all you have to do is kind of loop a swing over a tree. That one's very short. The that first one is takes a long time where you're you turn into a like well she thinks she turns into a cat and you're jumping from branch to branch. Like that one was one of the longest ones. I think that the one you're talking about where the girl eats everything. My big problem with the game is 
visually, it is really dark. I had to crank the brightness up all the way just to see where like I was going because it was so dark. And then where I'm at right now is I'm on uh, Lewis's room. I had just completed it. He's a guy who was a he worked at the cannery. And so you're doing like a dual stick kind of thing, which I like. But everything in this game moves really slowly, which kind of bothers me at times. That w- that one probably is the longest one because it's like a full, like it's like a fully realized fantasy story in and of itself. It was probably ten or fifteen minutes because I remember I was playing it about thirty minutes before we started recording, and I was like, the one right before it was a flip book that took twenty seconds tops, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do one more. I was like, maybe I can finish it, and then by the time I did that, I was like, I can't finish this game right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you probably only have one or two left. Maybe just one. Like, you might just have Edith's room left. Yeah, I, I think I have her mom, the grandma, and her dad. Did you part- like any of the stories particularly well? Did you think one, some were done better than others? Uh, yeah. So the the one where you flip over the swing, I thought was very well written. I really enjoyed the the writing in that one. The uh, he decided to fly, so he did. I liked. I mean, I didn't like, but it was it was well done. The the one with the the baby in the bathtub. Oh yeah, I was gonna bring that up. That was dark. I felt so bad. Yeah, especially the way it was presented from like the divorce proceed, like the note in the divorce proceedings. Like it was that was rough to get through. <laughs> Those were probably the two. The like, like we said, the the Lewis one is very long. It was really interesting. It was interesting to to get through it. It was just probably a little too long. What I think they do well in each one of these that you actually play is just a sense of dreading because you are essentially killing these characters. Yeah, you know every single one of them is going to die at the end of whatever you're doing, and so it was like ugh, it was rough. It's like the swing one. You're like swinging. You're like. I got to do it to keep going, but I know where this is going. Like, I don't, and you're like, is it here? It's like, nope, we're going back again. Is it here? Nope. Uh, Especially the one with the baby, the baby one. I was like, I legitimately feel bad about this, even though it's not real. Like, I was like, this is, this is dark. I will say the, the interactivity is minimal, but it is also constant. So like, the the swing one we keep coming back to you have to use the two joysticks to control his two legs to actually get him to swing up to momentum and if you do them off kilter the the swing swings like sideways and so you have kind of just enough interactivity to still feel like you're in control even though it is kind of just a like rail storyline yeah I could not figure out the swing at first. I I thought it was only like the left stick. So I was like, I don't know where I'm doing with this. What I also like about this game is when it's being narrated, you see the words on the screen and they kind of blend in with the world. So if you approach them, they start to disappear and stuff. I, I think as an art style or a, or a design choice, that was really cool. Yes. And they also hint at like where you're supposed to go next, because some of them will like zip off screen towards where you're supposed to go, or they'll like, shrink down to the spot that you're supposed to click on next so that's that was helpful for a couple spots where i was like all right where like where am i going now oh yeah because sometimes it is not very clear even though it's pretty much on rails sometimes you're like what am i supposed to find here and then you can follow the words it'll it'll give you a hint of at least the area to look at 
I also think the sound designs really well on this one. I was playing it with headphones on and I, it was uh, very immersive. I felt like I was in that house. Yeah, like I said, if since it's free, I definitely recommend picking it up. I wasn't really sure what to expect from this. It it kind of looked like a a horror game. Uh, I had heard it was very good from a couple of people who had told me about it, and uh, I'm I'm happy I picked it up. It's it's not uh, it's unexpected if nothing else. Yeah, I would also suggest people picking it up if this is this is one of those games where I think you could wait for a PlayStation Network sale if you don't end up picking it up while it's free on PlayStation Plus. If you like walking simulators, if you like games like I haven't played Firewatch, but I've heard that these two are comparable. If you like that style of game, I would check it out. Or if you've played a game like Gone Home and you liked it, then this is probably one that you should check out. And I imagine you'll like. But if you don't like those games, this might not be for you. If I had to like rate this game, I think I would from where I'm at right now, I'd put it in like a C tier game or high C, low B where it's. It's a really cool game and like I should probably put it as B. It's like a really cool game and it's in its genre, but it might not be for everyone. Yeah, agreed. It's really well done. I just I don't know if this is a game for everyone, especially because like you said, it has minimal interactivity. On to news. A couple weeks ago, the new Sonic movie trailer was released and I got to say, Christian, I don't know if I've ever seen so much universal backlash to a trailer <laughs> like Star Wars and stuff has had backlash, but it's been mixed. This trailer, everyone ripped on. Yeah, it was kind of universally reviled. It was I mean, for good reason, almost nothing in this trailer lands. No, we it's funny because this is actually a topic on one of our first episodes was they released the poster for the Sonic movie. And at the time we were like, what is this Sonic design? It looks horrible. And the internet ripped on them then. So we get to the trailer, the actual like the Sonic character model looks worse than I could have imagined. Yep. I remember because I was I was just searching back through a couple of my old Facebook posts from back then looking for something else. And I came upon uh, the the posting I had made for that episode and it just had is Sonic a furry with a bunch of question marks. I was like, oh man, we did talk about that. So let's let's break down some of the the ridiculous things about this and just starting off with their choice of a song to be playing while this is going. Oh man. They chose Gangster's Paradise to play for this movie. Very strange choice. It makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> You know what? I I think I love this. It's so bad you like it. So that was that was I think questionable choice number one. Uh, number two was just the horrible character model, which was not great. It was it was so bad, and everyone made fun of it that the studio has come out and said they're going to rework the character model because it has so much bad publicity. <laughs> Yeah, they made him just look like a person with, like, a weird hedgehog head. Like, he has human teeth. With John Ruffio's voice, which is perfect. His face is so weird. Like, you know, I'm not a huge Sonic fan. I liked the games on the Genesis, and I like Sonic Mania. I never got into the 3D games. So I, I don't, I'm not the target Sonic audience, but I've not seen any Sonic fans 
say they like the direction that's going. I don't know who this movie's for. Is it for children? Uh, I don't know, man. I think kids would be scared of this. I, I don't know who the target is. I think it's for kids because, number one, Jim Carrey plays Dr. Robotnik in this. Uh, which is, uh, like, I mean, I'm confused by every choice. So this is another one that's just, why? I'm curious if he can carry the movie. I He's the one that I saw more mixed reactions on. Some people thought he was good. Some people didn't. I did not particularly care for him in this. But it's one of those things where they show the scene with him telling like an army major to to be quiet. I could see little kids finding that funny, but I can't see anyone else finding it that funny. <laughs> and Sonic can use rings like a portal gun, I guess. Oh, my God. So I I I don't like where they're going with this, but the idea behind it is in the games where you can find the rings, giant rings like that, and they'll transport you to a mini game where you can get a chaos emerald. So I, I get th- I get the inspiration for it, but I don't understand it in this context. Nope. Just like, yeah, because they're like falling down a skyscraper and he throws a portal and they, they just fall through a portal. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, that's like what the rings are now. Also, Sonic's an alien. Oh, my God. None of this makes sense. What, what I think actually was the biggest sin of this movie, though, was in the very beginning, he gets shot by a Trank gun. The fastest creature in the world at this point gets shot by a Trank gun. Later in the same trailer, they're shooting hundreds of missiles at him, and he likes, you know, it goes to his point of view where time stopped and dodges all of them. There's no way that he can do that and still get hit by a Trank gun. It's almost like nothing makes sense. No, none of the, none of the movie, none of this movie about a mutant hedgehog makes sense. Also, if he's a hedgehog, how's he an alien? <laughs> I'm going to go on record right now and say there's going to be a mid or post credit scene where Tails comes in. There has to be. Either Tails or Shadow. Like, one of them's going to show up at some point. Knuckles, maybe. Someone. Either the last scene of the movie or it's going to be like a mid post credit scene. Yeah, they're, they're trying to franchise this for sure. And I do not know why. Bananas. I feel like most people who are Sonic fans are like in their 20s at this point. Or they're teenagers? Like, they're not children. I mean, the the Genesis was already well-established by the time, like, I started playing video games. So, the, like, the people that grew up with the original Sonic are, like, probably five or ten years older than I am. Like, they're going to be in their mid-thirties. It's that, or it's, like, the generation that grew up with the 3D games, which, you know, they're also probably in their 20s at this point. Like, they're not young. Like, the PlayStation 2 ones, or, or maybe even the... uh Dreamcast, Sonic Adventure. I'm really, really questioning who they're making this movie for. Also, Cyclops from the original X-Men series stars in this, which I was like, I have not seen this guy, and I do not like him. (laughs) I like James Marsden. I've seen him in a a handful of things. He was in Hairspray. We'll see. I I think I kind of agree with you about who they're making this for. I think it is probably aimed more at, like, modern-day kids, because... There seems to be no attempt whatsoever to capture like a nostalgia factor because like, yeah, when when you have stuff like Captain Marvel and coming out and like really like really trying to cash in on like 90s nostalgia or you have like Stranger Things coming out really trying to cash in on 80s nostalgia like those two things made it very apparent up front like who their audience was. And this one is just 
nothing. Like there is there is nothing in that trailer that that says to me that this is for like the past, the last generation. Uh, sorry, I just got to point this out too. The worst line of this whole trailer is every hero has a Genesis. <laughs> uh, I'm a fan of really stupid puns, so I, I did enjoy that a little bit. <laughs> this is a movie that I think if they release it, it like in a couple years, it's going to be one of those that it's like, it's so bad, it's good, just because every decision they seem to have made makes no sense. Yeah, like when the poster came out, I was like, oh, man, I think this is going to be bad. And now, like with the trailer, I'm like, oh, man, I cannot wait. <laughs> you're you're like, I was I was not watching this. Now I am. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. That's what, like like I said, right at the beginning of the segment, like, I think I love this. <laughs> it's going to be irredeemably terrible. <laughs> They're actually playing 4D chess. They're like, we know we can't do a Sonic right, so we're going to make it so ridiculous people come to it for this reason. I mean, they got trending. <laughs> All publicity is good publicity, right? Very fair. And in other news this week, Robert Pattinson has been rumored to be the next star of the newest Batman film, I believe releasing in 2021. He sure has. I have some thoughts on this, Christian. <laughs> what What do you think, though? This is fine. Honestly, I'm fine with this. I don't really care about Batman. Besides most of the Christopher Nolan trilogy, I've never been a big Batman fan. I've never been a big Rob Pattinson fan, so this is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, see, I I guess, I don't know if you could classify me as a Batman fan. I really like Batman the Animated Series. I used to watch that when I was growing up. I love the Nolan trilogy, especially, I mean, I think everyone loves it, but The Dark Knight, I think, is one of the best comic book movies ever. I've read some of the Batman comics, like I when in anticipation of the Dark Knight Rises, I got the anthology of um, him fighting Bane and getting his back broken, and then getting uh, having having stand-ins and everything. I you know I like the Justice League and all that, but I'm not like a hundred percent Batman fan, right? I I feel like I'm more of like a casual Batman fan, and. I'm not a fan of this choice because in my mind, like Batman's super tough. And the only thing I really know Robert Pattinson from is Twilight. And I despise everything related to Twilight just because I saw my sister made me watch one of the movies. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And then like everyone, because I think Twilight came out when we were in college just the amount of people talking about like vampires and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I hate all of this. And so maybe not fair, but I, I partly blame Robert Pattinson for that. So I'm glad you brought this up. I also hate Twilight more than most things in the world because I had to work at the movie theater when these movies came out. And to be fair, I hated the book series long before the movies came out. But yeah, I worked for four of the five movie releases because I, I believe the original one came out in 2008 when I was away at school. Um, but I definitely worked the other ones. And oh boy, some of the worst shifts I've ever had. But I learned a few years ago that nobody hates Twilight more than Robert Pattinson. Probably <laughs> it, it, it like ruined his like he's basically in indie movies now like he can't get another major role. Well, he can, but 
he he well yeah fair enough uh there are many interviews where he was like making the morning rounds for the last breaking dawn and his attitude was basically they can't fire me now the last movie is out and he just thrashes these movies yeah uh i i guess in all fairness i like i said i only saw the first one but i feel like i got my fill and my taste of it i don't want to turn this entire segment into just hating on twilight even though it deserves it i mean maybe he could be a good batman if they have him as like a younger detective like a year one style batman or something where i don't he's not like the old gruff experienced guy maybe he's a little bit thinner i i just don't know how they're going to use him in this We've had weird Batman choices before, like Adam West when it was way more campy, and George Clooney, who I don't actually think was a great Batman either. So I, I guess it could work, but DC has made a lot of questionable choices in their casting for the past couple years. I know Ben Affleck was controversial, but I, after seeing him in a couple movies, I think he's. I would I would have picked him over Robert Pattinson. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I did not hate Ben Affleck in Batman as Batman, especially in Justice League. I mean, I hated everything about Batman versus Superman, but like I didn't mind Justice League so much and I thought Ben Affleck did an actual pretty decent job as Batman in that one. As like an an old gruff Batman who's just kind of done. Yeah, I like that they made him a little bit funnier. Like he had a wry sense of humor in Justice League, which I did enjoy. The best part of him in, in uh Batman vs Superman was just his training scene where he's like doing pull-ups with 400 pounds on him like just insane <laughs> things where I was like I know Batman's strong but he's still just like a normal human man yeah so we'll, we'll see about this like I wanted to say I've seen Rob Pattinson in a handful of things but I'm really only coming up with Harry Potter and Water for Elephants I saw him in one where he ended up dying in the towers of 9-11 I don't remember what it was called though remember me yeah i saw him in that i guess he was fine but i don't don't, like the movie has not stuck with me i don't remember anything about it except him being in it for like 9 11 i don't really remember him in in harry potter because i mean he wasn't in it that much but he was good in water for elephants so yeah we'll we'll see i will i guess i will hold my judgment on it but i do not have high hopes for him all right And now we're going to play the Amazon review game. Just a quick recap of the rules. Christian is going to read a five-star Amazon review for a movie. I will get two yes or no questions to help me narrow it down. I can then ask for another review. I will get two more yes or no questions, and then I can ask for a final review. Uh, And then two more questions, and I have to guess. I am ready when you are, Christian. All right. This was another one like last week where there there are several obvious keywords that i was trying to avoid without giving it away um the first review is the gory parts are limited and do not go over the top the movie is written first and foremost as a comedy and brilliantly written great characters i don't like gory movies and this movie does it in a way that almost seems cartoonish i highly recommend it um is this a superhero movie no is this a zombie movie? Yes. Uh, I wish I'd asked that first. I'm going to ask for another review. 
This is the best zombie movie of all of them. Of course, I don't really consider it a, quote, zombie movie in the sense that zombie movies are usually horror. To me, this is more akin to a guy's romantic comedy with some action scenes added on. Perhaps that's a redundant description. The dialogue is excellent. The concept is fantastic. I love this movie. Is Bill Murray in this movie? He is. Is this Zombieland? It is, yes. Nice. I was between that and Shaun of the Dead, and I was like, ah. Uh, because yeah. like, Shaun of the Dead has minor gore. It's such a good movie. I'm excited for the second one. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. They they did that uh ten year challenge where they they basically recreated the cover with the like the the characters as they are now, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, that'll be hopefully a good because second one kind of came out of nowhere when the zombie market was getting oversaturated. Yeah, I was trying to avoid the word zombie, and I was definitely trying to avoid Bill Murray in the first uh the first review or two, and the the third one definitely had I, I had Bill Murray in in there just just in case. Best cameo ever, by the way, <laughs> the fact that he just gets killed. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. The best cameo. All right, guys, thanks for checking out our episode. Before we head out, Christian, what are you going to be watching or playing this week? Uh, Well, uh, like I said, I'm going to try and finish out the last couple trophies I have on what remains of Edith Finch. Um, hopefully get caught up on my movies because I am behind. I still have to watch Detective Pikachu, John Wick, and a couple others. But uh, Aladdin comes out this week, so I'll probably watch that and see how Will Smith does. Um, not expecting a lot, but, you know, keep an open mind. Uh, Brightburn also comes out this week, which I'm very, very excited about. What's Brightburn? Brightburn is the uh, James Gunn uh horror superman movie where the it's it's like the superman mythos where the the child falls to earth as a baby but he has superpowers except he's not a good person he's like a troubled child and so he's developing these superpowers along with like having kind of like a sociopathic disorder <laughs> and it looks genuinely terrifying and uh it's it's written by James Gunn the guy who did the Guardians of the Galaxy movies is that a theatrical release yeah, it comes out this weekend. This week, I am also going to be finishing up what remains of Edith Finch. I probably have like, I'm going to guess under an hour left in that. I am slowly plugging away at Mortal Kombat 11. I have a couple trophies left. I estimate if I can like just sit down and play it for like three hours or something this weekend, I, I bet I finish it up then. So those are the two games I'm going to be focusing on. Movie-wise, you briefly mentioned them. I really want to see John Wick 3. I love the John Wick movie, so I'm excited to see what they do uh, with the expanded John Wick universe after the second one because it seems like they're... My guess is they're leading into it. I have not watched any trailers on it. And then also, I wasn't going to see it, but I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards it now because I've heard good things about Detective Pikachu. Um, so I'm going to try and see that either this week or more likely next week. All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you want to contact us, you can reach us. We are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email me. We are gambots.blog at gmail.com. We're open to taking suggestions for the Amazon review game, so if you have any ideas, please feel free to shoot us an email. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.